Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. Per usual, let's get the bookkeeping out of the way at the top of the show. Thank you very much for being here. Please, if you could, interact with the show a little bit. Like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend. Really, the sharing. That's really what I'd appreciate. Uh, I mean, anything you can do to interact with the product and helps it out. It helps out various algorithms that are kind of poking at things. Uh, that all helps, so please, if you could, deeply appreciate it. Uh, let's see. And, and the sharing, really. I mean, if you interact with it, then you've... I, I really, really appreciate that. But if you've got friends, whether they're, you know, digital or real-life friends, tell them about the show if you think they'd be interested, and I, I would really appreciate that. All right, with my shameless begging out of the way, on this particular episode, a review of last night, UFC on ESPN 27, subtitled... I don't even have a good subtitle about judges being awful at their jobs. God. I... I have a... I have to talk... I will talk about that at length. Uh, so a review of that, a preview of UFC on ESPN 28, which is really phoned in. I mean, I was fairly down on 27, apart from the main event, and, eh, I, I was slightly corrected over the course of the week. It still wasn't a great card, but there was some stuff in there that I may have shortchanged, and that's on me, that's my bad, mea culpa. Uh, next week's card. Oof. I'm going to struggle to find good stuff in that. That is that is a uh, that is just a tick another box card. And then some uh, news such as there is such as there exists at the moment. Uh, right. Yeah, that's what we've got. All right, let's jump in. Last night, UFC on ESPN 27. Before I talk about the fights, before I, before I talk about the fights, because the fights deserve to be discussed slightly separately from everything I'm about to say. All three decisions on the main card last night were bad. I tried real hard to be diplomatic about one of them. Then I rewatched the fight and have decided, no, no, I don't need to be diplomatic. Uh, I, I really don't. The main event was a split decision that... Uh, I'll get into detail about that when I talk about the fight. Suffice to say, I vehemently disagree with the outcome. Your co-main event was a majority decision that should have been a draw, but for some unknown reason, what the these the, two of the judges watched the first round of that fight between Holly and Paiva and Kyler Phillips, and decided that the first round was not a 10-8. Which was... More so than than my disagreement about scoring slightly mar- rounds that, you know, in real time might have been marginal. I can't fathom that. I absolutely cannot understand, cannot understand knowing the scoring criteria, watching that first round and going, that's a 10-9. That, No! This round should be studied as an appropriate 10-8. But, and then earlier on in the main card, uh, Macy Barber defeated Miranda Maverick via split decision. I tried to be diplomatic about this one. 
Uh, because there's only one round that matters when it comes to the scoring. Everyone agrees, Maverick first, Mar Barber third. So the second round is the relevant round, is the swing round. And... Rewatching it, it wasn't as hard to do as... That... I'm not going to call that a robbery, but that should not have that should not have been that complicated. The fact that every major MMA media outlet covering this gave the fight to Mar to Maverick, that ought to tell you something. When everyone except two of the yahoos sitting at ringside, that that should tell you something. Uh, there was some just I don't know if I can only assume that somehow the Tokyo Olympics, which are currently ongoing, has found a way to successfully keep Clucky out of the country. And if so, Japan, please share your secrets with the world we all wish to be rid of this foul, foul, eh, puns. But he was working overtime here. That's not even true. I watched part of the weightlifting... I watched some of the weightlifting competition a couple of nights ago, and there was a couple of really questionable judges' decisions. You might ask how there's judges' decisions in weightlifting. It's because they have to... Your lift must conform to... It has to be done properly. And there were some questionable... There were some questionable calls there. So it's not even that. He just decided that, for some reason, this card, I guess... Oh, a horrible, horrible... Sequence of judging from the main card. Absolutely atrocious. And when it comes to the, to the main event in particular, Sal D'Amato, who is about as useful as a can of soup, had to... He, I disagreed with his scoring of Barber and Maverick. He scored that for Barber. He apparently had to invert his terrible scoring criteria to score for Dillashaw. Because he... The only way to give Barber the second round is to overly value her bits of control position over the damage that Maverick inflicts. Which is not how that's supposed to be scored anyway, but for the sake of argument, if you're a moron, let's just say that's what he chose to value somewhat regardless of what the rules say. Or the, the, the scoring criteria. He had to completely flip that in the fifth round of Dillashaw and Sandhagen... To score in to score in favor of Dillashaw. Uh, was that the other way around? No, I'm pretty no no I'm I'm pretty sure that's correct. Like he he's not point. I, I may be forgetting which one he had to face. I I, I rewatched like I said I rewatched the second round of Barber and Maverick, but it didn't stick much in my head. Mostly because it shouldn't have been that complicated. Like, that was my big thing, was I rewatched that round to go, okay, was this as close as I thought it was in real time? Because I'm doing a lot of stuff. I have, you know, I'm typing up stuff that I see. I'm not always watching the action diligently because I'm checking for typos. I occasionally look at my hands when I type. You know, I'm doing other things other than just scoring the fight. It's one of the perils of doing it the way that I do it, and I freely acknowledge as such. It's one of the reasons I very rarely get... Uh, I, I try not to have, you know, bad hot takes coming out of my live coverage for scoring just because I know I'm not scoring 
the way I should be if I was going to just score the fight. Uh, I'm very aware of that. But the only way you could give Barber that second round was if you kind of valued damage. Yeah, that was it. If you valued damage over uh, numbers, and even then, I, I, look, I, I don't think Barber wins the second round of that fight. I just don't. But whatever criteria, the, the only criteria you can give it to Barber on, you have to completely invert it to score the fifth round of Dillashaw and Sandhagen for Dillashaw. Because he got beat up in that fifth round. Saldamato, not even consistent in his terrible judging. And then there's Junichiro Kamijo in the main event, who gave the fourth round to Dillashaw. I'm prepared to accept the fifth round. I thought Sandhagen had it, but I would give you the fifth round as having... If you're going to get a round wrong in this fight, the fifth is probably the one that you would get wrong. That's the kindest way I can say that. So, I, But that's the way I'm going to say it. I, I have no earthly idea how he arrived at... Look, when I did this live, I was four rounds to one for Sandhagen. I gave Dillashaw the second. Which is the third? I gave Dillashaw the third. Who's the third? I just double-checked. I gave Dillashaw the third. Because he won that round. I don't think there's any dispute about this. I gave Sandhagen every other round. The only round that I wasn't certain about doing it live was the first. And my initial read as I was doing that live after I, as the fight wore on, was maybe I got the first round wrong. Rewatching it? I don't think I did. I... The most salient damage of that entire round was done by Sandhagen. That's between some of the some of the punches he landed, a pretty good flying knee, and a heel hook that pretty badly tweaked up uh, Dillashaw's left knee. He acknowledged as such uh, between rounds and after the fact. So, I'm actually thinking that my four to one scorecard makes more sense than. Kamijo scoring the fourth round for Dillashaw. Like, that... that It just doesn't make... I don't understand how you could arrive at that unless you are horribly overvaluing Dillashaw's leg kicks. And he landed some pretty good leg kicks throughout the fight. I, I, I want to get into the specifics of that fight in a minute, but the judging last night was... Pardon the profanity, it was ass. This was deep-fried ass. I. It was terrible. I I gave it a full night of sleep, and I rewatched the relevant fights before I arrived at this conclusion. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Why is Sal D'Amato still a judge? The man is... What, did we... I know they basically got rid of Cecil Peoples a few years ago. Is he now... I mean, D'Amato's actually been turning in worse scorecards since long before Peoples was kind of ousted. And for those of you newer to the sport, you may not remember that reference that I just made, but Cecil Peoples was a somewhat notoriously bad judge. D'Amato's scoring of that fifth round, again, I disagree with it vehemently. He should be made to answer for that. And Camillo, that fourth round for Dillashaw... That is an indefensible score. 
That is just flat out by every bit of scoring criteria that we currently have that was indefensible. And this naturally leads me to have to yell at some of the fan base. So, fans, I kind of assume that most of my regular listeners are not this stupid. Because I've talked about this in the past, but I'm going to say it again anyway. Anytime you have someone going, well, I pushed the pace, therefore I won, they don't understand the scoring criteria. Aggression and octagon control are to be weighed only, and I mean only, when there is no discernible difference in effective striking and grappling. Your forward pressure means nothing if you get outstruck, period. Your holding someone against the fence means nothing if you get outstruck, if you lose position, if you get taken down and held up, nothing. Means nothing. Those criteria are only to be considered as fail-safes when there is no discernible difference amongst the more heavily weighted criteria. This is this is not tiered. Okay, this is not like, well, we... We rate you on an effective striking c- category on a scale of one to f- a scale of one to ten, and then your effective aggression on a s- and then your aggression and cage control on a scale of one to five. And if you're you know a lot more effective at the control, so you get a five there, but the other guy only got a three on the effective striking, then you win the round. No, not how this works. Explicitly, not how this works. <sighs> Forward pressure, cage control are important things strategically. Scoring-wise, they only matter if you can't determine a round winner based on discussing the effective striking and grappling. This shouldn't be that complicated, but for some reason, people think it is. And inevitably, people try to construct grand narratives out of this crap. About, no, so-and-so was pushing the pace. So Didn't you see what they did in X round? Fights are not scored on as a whole. That's not how the 10-point must system works. You score the round, you score the round right after the round ends. That's how immediately after the round ends. And then whoever wins the most rounds, or assuming there's enough rounds to have a point differential that matters, wins the fight. You do not get to look at the fight as a whole and go so-and-so won. That's not how the system works. <sighs> or, th- these people annoy me to death. The people who went at, who after this fight said, yeah, I thought it was close, I would have accepted a draw. Okay. Do me a favor, buddy. Which round is 10-10? I want you to think about that for a second. You can't say I would have accepted a draw as some placating gesture to the fact that the fight was competitive and the fact that you thought the fight was competitive and close. And let me be clear about Dillashaw and Sandhagen. Competitive fight. By by most reasonable metrics, that fight was competitive. I don't think it was all that close, but I'm just me. But you, you you say, I would have been okay with a draw. You don't, sc- once again, same point, you don't score the fight as a whole. 
the, you're using the same logic that morons do when they say, well, I thought it should have been a split decision. That's not how this works. You don't get to decide if a decision is split. You score the rounds. And then if the judges don't agree, that's how you get a split decision. It is not some grand gesture assigned to how competitive the fight was. People got, people lost their minds when I scored John Jones versus Alexander Gustafson for Jones, and I think I did four to one. Because people wanted the scorecards to reflect how close the fight was more than they actually thought I was wrong. Some people did, but such is life. I can appreciate you wanting the scores to reflect the close nature of a fight, but you do not get to arbitrarily say should have been a draw if you can't point to the problem, if you can't point to why. Well, it was a close fight. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. If they had fought to a draw, would I have been upset, personally? A little bit. Maybe a little bit, but... The scoring is not designed... This might sound really weird. The scoring is not designed to reflect the narrative of the fight. The scoring is designed to reflect who won the most rounds. If you want to get a draw in a five-round fight... You need a you need elite you need one round that's 10-10 or one round that's 10-8. Please, you out there, rewatch this fight. Tell me which round is 10-10. Because I don't think any of them are legitimate 10-10 rounds. And I'm I've somewhat been vocal that I think we could use a few more of those. I don't think there were any in this fight. You might have been okay with the draw after the fact just because you thought the fight was close enough and competitive enough, and boy, I don't know, and that's fine. That's a fine thought experiment. That's a fine talking point. You want If your talking point is these two were very evenly matched, you know what? I don't disagree. This was a well-matched fight in that respect. Fights aren't scored that way. You score round by round. And the later rounds don't mean any more than the first round. Which is another sort of stupid prevailing... Man, Daniel Cormier on commentary last night got mad at someone for saying that he scored... Uh, the first round of the Brendan Allen... Uh, someone had... For the record, I had Brendan Allen 30-27 in this fight. But the first round of Allen and, Sor and Punjela Soriano was a decently competitive fight, and I don't object to someone going 10-8 for Soriano. So someone, I think it was Rob Tatum on Twitter, mentioned that after the second round, he had it 19-19, which is what you would get if you scored the first for Soriano and the second for Allen. Now, I gave Allen the first, but I'm willing to accept that the first, the first round of that fight, okay. I mean, Allen clearly won the second. There is no dispute about that. There is no dispute that Allen won the fight. But Cormier's response to this was, that's ridiculous. I've got Allen, you know, 29, 8, I've got Allen 2018. Like, your scores don't change as the fight progresses. Was Allen winning the fight when they talked about that? Yes. Did he win the second round pretty big? Yes. That doesn't change the fact that the five-minute increment that makes up the first round, that's an argument for Soriano there. And if you lean towards him, by the time you end the second round, you're 19-19. And if your objection to that is, but so-and-so is clearly winning at this point, 
You don't understand how the scoring system works. And if you're one of the commentators for the UFC, how in the world do you not understand this? In all sense, I mean, he's made that asinine point before. I don't know if he just... I don't know if he genuinely doesn't know if he gets flustered in the middle of the broadcast or if he's leaning into a gimmick. I don't care. It's a bad look either way. Oh, it's un- it's unbelievably annoying. And again, the judging last night was just the worst. So with that out of the way, let's move on to the actual action. Okay, main event. TJ Dillashaw defeats Corey Sandhagen, split decision, 48-47s. I was, like I said, I was 49-46 Sandhagen, which I will actually kind of stand by, believe it or not. The fight itself was very good. Setting aside the decision, the action from start to finish was good. There was a bit of a, it was a bit of a tactical error that Sandhagen was making early. He was landing a good jab. He kind of busted Dillashaw up with that jab. He was good at... He was really good about kind of feinting Dillashaw in and then countering about disrupting his rhythm. He was better about clinch breaking here than he ever has been in the past. Um, Dillashaw's offense was fairly muted all fight. He landed some good leg kicks and those kind of came on as the fight went on. But uh, they didn't seem to have much of an impact on Sandhagen. Which, to be clear, is not to say they shouldn't have been scored. I certainly scored them. But they didn't seem to have, they didn't seem to really be hindering anything Sandhagen was doing. That's just an observation about it. His punches, I mean, he landed some. He had a couple of his decent little double shifting strikes that he uses. But he was really muted. Uh, He did a lot of clinching. A lot of, you slip around to the back, hold you against the fence, land some knees to the thigh. It was, there was a lot of stalling from Tillishaw, quite frankly. Uh, especially as that fight wore on. The longer that went, the worse it went for TJ, my opinion. Again, a couple of the judges disagreed, but... Uh, he, he just... He struggled with the length that Sandhagen presented. He was good about countering any spinning attacks that Sandhagen did, which deserves a lot of credit for. Uh, and was one of the big tactical errors that Sandhagen did. He kept trying some spinning attacks, and he kept getting collapsed on and clenched and then controlled for a period of time and that kind of muddied the I think that kind of muddied the waters in terms of the scoring just enough to screw him over I mean I thought he won I genuinely think they screwed the guy on this one uh you know Dillashaw got cut um there was a pretty nice right hand Sandigan landed in the second that split Dillashaw open uh vertically on the the right eyebrow kind of right by the bridge of the nose uh, pretty bad cut, actually. I would not have been shocked if they stopped that one. Just just putting that out there. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty bad cut. Uh, I, I want to give TJ credit because the fact that I'm not a fan of his and haven't been since long before the drug, the, you know, the drug testing issues, I want to make sure that he gets the proper credit. He came back from a two-year layoff fought one of the top contenders and he he gave everything he had to that fight and that deserves a ton of credit he just didn't look all that 
it, he per, again he persevered. He found minor tactical adjustments that he could make. Uh, he kept he was good about countering spinning attacks. He had some decent control against the cage. I don't think he did enough with it, but he but you know, establishing control is not easy, especially at bantamweight, and he was able to do so. He looked. I don't know if I do not know if the following is a byproduct of the particular matchup he was stuck in, the time off, the age, or the advancement of the sport, or what combination of those factors led to this. He looked ineffective, and that's not something you're you're used to seeing from T.J. Dillashaw. He's normally a very effective fighter. He looked. He did not look very effective here. He kept getting kind of stopped by punches. I don't mean like knocked out, but if his forward motion was timed by Sandhagen and Sandhagen punched him, he stopped moving. I, I mean, his chin, uh, his chin isn't bad. I don't mean to imply that, but he was getting, uh, again, he was getting uh, deterred in ways that you don't usually see. He was. Just again, just kind of ineffective offensively, a little bit neutered. Not completely, obviously, uh, but his offense did not have near the potency that you're used. You know, either of his runs up to the title, either of his either of his title reigns, anything like that. Of all the you know positive and negative you could say about the guy, he was usually a potent fighter. He wasn't here. I mean. To the extent that he won rounds, he won them off the back of clinch control against a fence where he did very little. Like, he just iced enough minutes to confuse the judges about how much Sandhagen's striking was affecting him. That's that's kind of the long and the short of that. Now, like I said, that might be the matchup, it might be the time off, it might be some injuries he had, it might be any number of things that contributed to this. He might come out for his next fight and look much more like the again, the very effective, dangerous fighter of old. But if he fought, I mean, this might be a bit unfair because the man I'm about to reference is the best bantamweight in the world, in my opinion. But if he fought Piotr Jan looking like this, Jan would have killed him. I mean, that would that fight would have been over and done inside of four rounds. Uh, that <laughs> now, now, look, Jan is not Sandhagen. The preparation is very different. The body types are different. Like I'm, I'm very aware of all these things. But Dillashaw just didn't look like the kind of potent, effective fighter that he used to. And that's something to keep in mind, I think. Uh, he was just really muted in terms of what he was able to do. I mean, he's usually a fairly good takedown threat. He was like two for 19, I think, two for nine, maybe, something like that. He got he was credited with two takedowns, one of which he got mostly because Sandhagen was throwing a flying knee at the time, <laughs> and then Sandhagen nearly locked up a reverse triangle choke. Uh. I'm not sure where T. 
it's really hard to kind of separate my take on Dillashaw's future from the fact that he should have lost this fight. He's probably going to get a title shot off of this, depending on the timing, injury loads, and how soon Sterling and Yawn finish their business. Yeah. I just say, Piotr Yawn, dang it, man. If you'd just... If you just followed the rules, if you just punched Aljamain Sterling in the head a few times instead of throwing that knee, you could be fighting Sandhagen right now, and Dillashaw could have fought Sterling in his return fight. We wouldn't have the logjam at the top of Bantamweight, and... Uh, God, that... We wouldn't be dealing with a paper champion at Bantamweight, and I... If you think that's me being overly harsh on Aljamain Sterling... Go find the show where I talked about the fallout from that event, and I have my full reasoning there. That is not me. That is not me trying to diminish Sterling as a fighter or as a competitor. He went out for that fight, and he did everything he could. But he won the title on a disqualification in a fight he was clearly losing. At that point, you're you're a paper champion, and that sucks for him. Because he didn't ask for any of that. I don't necessarily believe that he was faking how devastating that knee was. And he didn't ask to be fouled. He wasn't doing it. Look, he was on his knees and he got kneed in the head. He shouldn't... Jan shouldn't have done it. That's on Jan. I'm not saying that the ref shouldn't have disqualified Jan for it. I tend to think that was the right call. He's a paper champion through circumstances that he had no control over, essentially, and that sucks for him, and I don't hold that against him, but that is also reality as I see it. So, I mean, Sandhagen after the... F Sandhagen after the fact said that, you know, he made Sean Shelby pinky promise that he's still just one win away from a title fight. Well, buddy, I got bad news, because that and five bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Uh, it means nothing. If it's not in writing, it means nothing. Uh, this was a really good performance from Sandhagen. All five rounds, even the rounds that I thought he... Again, the third, he pretty clearly lost. And the first... Yeah, okay, we'll call it iffy. Call the first round iffy. Even with that in mind, the man fought very, very well. He fought long... He just needed to not do the spinning stuff because it just that's what screwed him at the end of the day his propensity for trying the spectacular got him controlled to very little effect beyond wasting time but it was enough to clearly enough to convince a couple of the blind old men at ringside uh, i hope he's able to take the appropriate lessons from this but he's still very, very much a player at bantamweight. And look, bantamweight... Ow. Sorry, I banged my elbow. <sighs> Lightweight is probably the deepest division in the world. Uh, I think it just has the perfect confluence of athletic ability with size. You know, in terms of you can't really do... A, if you want to compete in some kind of athletic endeavor, but most... Uh, competitive athletics have size requirements. So if you're in the, you know, five, eight, like most, I think most lightweight is somewhere between like five, six and five, ten, somewhere in that range. So if you're in that range and you have the frame to make 155, 
there's not a lot of other sports that want you. Not none, but not a lot. Uh, so you might... So Lightweight has a lot of good talent there. Bantamweight is not only incredibly deep worldwide, I think Bantamweight is where... Bantamweight is the bleeding edge of mixed martial arts. You look at what these two guys did in this fight, and setting aside the decision, look at how they fight, look at how they adapt, look at how they shift. In terms of stances, look at how they feint, look at how they counter. Look at how look at how they blend striking and wrestling. This is the best version of mixed martial arts. It's happening at 135. And that's been true for a while. And that's not to dump on lightweight, which is certainly more populous and has... There might be more... I can't even say there might be more parity at lightweight. There might be. Worldwide, there might be more... There, The difference between the number 5 lightweight in the world, whoever you happen to think that is, and the number 25 lightweight in the world, it might not be that great. Uh, the difference between the number 5 bantamweight in the world and the number 25 bantamweight in the world might be slightly larger than that, but... Bantamweight is the most interesting division in the sport. It's arguably the deepest... And it's certainly the one that is most given to experimentation. You don't watch a whole lot of lightweights to see the newest, most advanced, sophisticated stuff that's going on in the sport. You do for bantamweight. Uh, so Dillashaw, will, and Dillashaw probably gets a title shot. I don't think he beats Jan. In all honesty, I don't. But that would be a really good fight. I mean, Sterling might beat Yon in their rematch, in which case, geez, how does Sterling match up with Dillashaw? I might favor Dillashaw in that fight, in all honesty. I'm not sold on that at the moment, but that's a... I might. I'd have to... It's hard trying to... It's really hard trying to parse TJ after the layoff, coming back in this fight. Because you have to sort of divorce yourself from the scoring, which I've yelled about already. Uh, this this was a good fight. This wasn't your fight of the night. Probably should have been. Uh, my opinion, this is this is actually going on my... I have a list of... Uh, because I do the year-end awards thing for 411, I have, I have an ongoing list of various nominees across the different categories. Uh, this is probably going on my my list of best fights of the year. It was a great fight. The decision sucked, but the action itself was was really good. It was a really good fight. It just it just sucks. The decision was wrong. Uh, I don't know who Sandhagen will fight next. He won't get a title shot. He might have to fight the loser of Jan and Sterling. Uh. Then again, if Sterling loses to Jan, which is my inclination at the moment, my inclination is Jan wins that fight. I don't know that you could do a rematch between Sterling and Sandhagen right now. Not saying it wouldn't be potentially warranted, but you're going to have to try and sell Sterling on that. And he's... If I'm Aljamain Sterling, I'm not necessarily sure I'm taking that fight against a dangerous opponent when I already beat him quickly. 
It's one of the nice things about beating a dangerous opponent decisively in fairly swift fashion. The rematch is unlikely to come up. Even if you know it's a difficult fight, and Sandhagen and Sterling is a difficult fight. So, I don't know, he's going to have to fight somebody. Uh, the top five of, the, the UFC's rankings of bantamweight are kind of a, they're almost as bad as their rankings at lightweight, which, Josiah Islam Makashev jump all the way up to number five. I mean, I went over those, I, I yelled about that a while ago, I don't have the energy for it right now. So, at the moment, these rankings have not been updated. We have Sterling as champion, Jan Sandhagen, Font, Aldo, Garbrandt, Marais, Edgar, Munoz, Cruz, Dwalsh, Relia, Sunsal, Rivera, Vera, Phillips, and Stamen. Phillips will drop. Um, Sandhagen's going to drop. We've already got the fight booked between Aldo and Munoz. He's already beaten Marais and Edgar, who should not be ranked as highly as they are, neither of them, quite honestly. Um, has he fought Rob Font? I don't know that he has. Let's see. Alcantara, Batista, Lineker, Austin Sow, Sterling Mer No, he has not. So that might be a thought. If Jan beats Sterling and Sterling doesn't want the rematch, maybe Font would be a thought. Um, possibly the... Uh, maybe the winner of Aldo and Munoz might be another thought. But we we got to wait for a couple of those other fights to play out, but that's kind of where my head would be at. Uh, poor guy should be fighting for the belt. Just, But, eh. I've said my piece on that. All right, moving on. Another terrible decision. Holly and Piva defeated Kyler Phillips via majority decision. One twenty-eight, twenty-eight, and two twenty-nine, twenty-eights. I mentioned this already. I'm going to reiterate. The first round of this fight should be studied as an appropriate ten-eight. Phillips. It's not that Piva was a punching bag for the entire round. He wasn't. But he got hurt three different times, he got dropped twice, and was saved by the bell. If there's another 10 seconds in that round at the end of that with, with uh, Phillips where he is dropping hammer fists and elbows, that fight's done. Correctly. This, the fact that two judges watched that round and went, you know what, 10-9. You, you... <laughs> Absurd human beings. Shame on you. Shame on you for being that bad at your job. Uh, which is very relevant because there's no dispute here about what follows. There's no dispute about Phillips winning the first and Piva winning rounds two and three. But to look at that round and not score it properly... And a 10-8 is entirely proper, not just defensible, proper, screws this entire thing up. Uh, I mean, look, Phillips should have maybe saved a little something in the tank for rounds two and three. 
he came out way too hard in the first round. Uh, and full credit to Paiva, he dropped a 10-8 by any reasonable definition thereof. And rallied to win the next two rounds. I mean, that's a lot of guts. Uh, I... This was a this was a good fight. There was a, this was an action fight more than anything. This was your fight of the night officially, which I I would have given it to Dillashaw and Sandhagen, but I'm this fight more appealed to Dana White's sensibilities. I think is probably the way to phrase that. Uh. Kudos to Pi. I'm really just hung up on the scoring issue here. Uh, but if I can, getting past that, gutsy performance out of Paiva. He endured a pretty brutal first round and persevered. Hopefully, Phillips will learn that you. Uh, you I mean, he's fought the distance before. This was a. Re, this was an odd performance out of Phillips. I don't know if he just was really, really sold on his own ability to end this fight in the first round. Or if he just, I don't know, it was it was really odd. I don't know, maybe he thought his gas tank was better than it was. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, this, cost, this is going to cost him his spot in the top 15. And I think a draw should have as well, but it sucks that he got a loss that he should not have had. Uh, as for Paiva, I don't know if he's sticking around bantamweight or not. He normally fights at flyweight, but he missed weight last time, so we'll we'll see what Paiva you know wants to do with his career as far as that goes. Uh, let's see, featherweight, Darren Elkins defeated Derek Minner via TKO punches at 3:48 of the second. Typical zombie Darren Elkins fight. He gets the crap beat out of him until his opponent gasses out, gives up a bad position, and then just can't escape and gets kind of beat on. Uh, I don't know how wise it is for Darren Elkins to continue fighting, given the amount of damage he continues to absorb. But to anyone fighting this guy in the future, stick and move, people. Minner kept trying to go for a guillotine choke, and that was just not a smart move. Elkins wears you down with his grappling. And he does the home... Look, there was an... I think it was James Vick who threw the insult at Justin Gage that, you know, you're the Homer Simpson of MMA. Referencing, if you're familiar with the Simpsons lore, Homer's brief stint as a professional boxer where he was... You know, he couldn't punch to save his life. Had no cardio. But his whole thing was, I'll let you punch me. And then I won't get hurt because I'm Homer Simpson and you're a very bad fighter. And then eventually I'll just kind of tap you and you'll fall over because you're exhausted. That 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 was levied by James Vick at Justin Gage. He wasn't accurate then. Even, pre, even pre-Reformation for Gage, that wasn't accurate. It is absolutely accurate of Darren Elkins. That's what Darren Elkins does. He gets hit. He gets he gets outstruck. He gets out grappled, and he just won't quite go away until eventually your cardio kind of fails you, and he gets some good position, and then he either submits you or pounds you out. It's there's so much tape on this man that this shouldn't work anymore. 
I mean, look, the guy he beat last time, Garagori, was someone who probably shouldn't be in the UFC to begin with. So I might give him a pass on that. Minner should have known better. James Krause was yelling at him in the corner <laughs> in the second round. He gets a front headlock on uh, on Elkins, and Minner uh, and Krause yells at him, "Don't jump for it," and he jumps for it. <laughs> I oh, okay. if you're gonna fight that stupid, maybe you deserve to be beat by Darren Elkins, who is. Darren Elkins is a very, very... When I say stupid fighter, I don't mean to insult the man's personal intelligence. I don't know him well enough to do that. But, you know, there's smart fighters, and then there's dumb fighters. Darren Elkins is not an especially smart fighter in the grand scheme of things. But, I mean, if no one's gonna... If it's still gonna work, apparently, then he's gonna keep doing it. I mean, even when it wasn't working, that's what he was doing, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, God. I don't care. This fight didn't interest me. This fight didn't interest me as it happened. It wasn't all that interesting. Uh, let's see. Macy Barber defeated Miranda Maverick via split decision. There were 29-28. I yelled about the decision here and the scoring. Maverick had a good first round, and I thought she won the second. Barber, to her credit, rebounded after a first round that she universally lost. And was able to, you know, get some clinch. The uglier this fight was, the more it favored Barber. And she was able to ugly it up at different points. And then the third round, uh, not only did she make it ugly, but Maverick was kind of gassed. So, I thought Maverick should have won. I make no bones about that. Uh, but, I don't know. I, I don't care about women's flyweight. I mean, they're giving Lauren Murphy a title shot because there's no one else. And Murphy's getting that on the back of a handful of split decisions that I thought... I thought she lost all of those fights. And... I mean... It's not really a very well-developed division. It exists. But it's... It's, it's not deep. It's not very well-developed. You've got fighters there that just kind they just kind of exist uh, I mean you hear it all the time even up from the UFC broadcast there's a short road to the U to the women's flyweight title it's it's that dead a division it's a really short road now you've got an absolute monster at the end of it to try and deal with I mean, I mean women's bantamweight's kind of the same way it's a little bit de it's deeper than flyweight but yeah, Misha Tate's probably only one fight away from a title shot. It's a short road. It's a fairly, it can be a fairly short road to that title, depending on how, depending on how you choose, which fights you choose to accept and which ones the UFC offers you. There's a little bit of, there are, there are some tough fights in that division, but you can get there without nearly, women's straw weight, you want to get a, even just get a title shot in that division. You're fighting at least two or three very good fighters along that route. Women's flyweight, you know, maybe one. Women's bantamweight, you might get two. I mean, Juliana Pena is getting a title shot, and I barely recall her last win. And, and you know, the same thing with bantamweight, though. 
you might have a fairly short-ish path to the title, but then you have to fight a monster. <laughs> uh, in the form of Amanda Nunes at Bantamweight, so... Uh, I... Wasn't a bad fight, wasn't terribly memorable, and I disagreed with the decision, so no, I don't have a whole lot to go on there. Um, Adrian Yanez defeated Randy Costa via TKO punches to 11 of the second. This was a darn good fight, actually, for as long as it lasted. The first round, Costa did a really good job of jabbing up Yanez, of moving him, of fighting long, you know, long-range punches and kicks, bloodied him up a little bit. Uh, fought well. Second round, Costa may have expended a bit too much energy, and Yanez started getting a read on him. He started jabbing with him. He started countering the jab, got a better feel for the range, eventually dropped him and finished him. Uh, both these gentlemen are legit bantamweights. Uh, I mean, if you want to know why, the, why someone like me might be so high on the bantamweight division, there were three bantamweight fights on that main card. All three of them were really good fights. Whether I, again, I disagreed with two of those decisions. I went over that. But those three fights were all very, very good. Yanez is, Yanez is legit. Uh, I don't know who he'll fight next. He should be, I mean, this was only his, oh, geez, this was his third fight in the UFC. All of them finishes. Uh, all of them performance of the night bonuses too. Jeez, I mean that man hasn't lost since he f lost dropped a split decision to Miles Johns in 2018. Uh, Adrian Yanez is a legitimate player at bantamweight. He should be fighting somebody near the top 15. I don't know if he'll. Uh, maybe he should fight Phillips. Uh, just as a thought, I mean, Phillips is probably going to drop out of the top 15, so Phillips and Yanez, I don't know. But something along those lines. That that guy's a player. That guy is absolutely a player. So that was the main card. Terrible judging. Uh, three really good fights. And a couple of others that weren't awful. As for the prelims, Brendan Allen defeated Punahele Soriano via unanimous decision, 230-27s, 129-28. I was 30-27. The only round somewhat in dispute here is the first. Soriano had some success in the first, but Allen, any punches that were landed, Allen kind of ate. He was landing some killer body kicks. He did a lot of good body work. Uh, he fought well up and down. Uh, Soriano just, his style doesn't seem to work all that well the longer a fight goes, which is frequent of people who throw that much into everything they do. And the longer it went, the worse it got for him. So uh, he, he rebounded a little bit in the third. The third was not as bad for him as the second. But he never had a, never got close to the success he had in the first round. Uh, Allen's a fairly legitimate guy at middleweight. Uh, he's only got one, he, his only loss in the UFC is to Sean Strickland. Jeez, uh, he only had one loss since... Only one loss in the UFC. Only two losses overall since 2018. One of those was to Anthony Hernandez uh, when he was fighting in LFA. Then went on a fairly long winning streak, lost to Strickland, has rebounded with two wins. Allen's a legitimate player. Uh, also at middleweight, Nasruddin Imovov uh, defeated Ian Heinish via TKO, knees and punches, 3 minutes of the, 3.09 of the second. 
Imovov is a. Pr I don't know how. I don't know exactly how far he's going to go at middleweight, but that man is a tough fight. He's long for that weight class. He's really good about reading you and countering you, and he did that to Heinish and just methodically broke him down minute over minute until Heinish eventually crumbled. Uh, really impressive stuff from Imovov. Welterweight Mickey Gall defeated Jordan Williams via rear naked choke, 257 of the first. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Williams was the better striker technically, but they got him to kind of a half collar tie clinch, and Gall swung a right hand from his hip that dropped Williams from that close proximity. I mean, he, he swung for the bleachers from from that close and dropped him. Williams never quite got back into things. I mean, he didn't. That didn't lead immediately into the finish, but it kind of spelled the end for Williams. Uh, Gall's back control is pretty good. His choke attacks from there are quite good. And uh, Williams just couldn't keep up with the hand fighting. He got dropped again right near the end. I forget exactly what did it, but he got punched down. Gall jumps on his back. Uh, you just attack side to side with hand, with uh, the choke until one of them eventually gets through under the chin, and that's all she wrote. Uh, bantamweight Julio Arce defeated Andre Ewell via TKO punches, 345 of the second. Uh, the first round was a bit competitive, but the more Arce was able to push forward into closer range, the more he was able to land on Ewell, the more he was able to hurt him and drop him and eventually finish him. Uh, Ewell didn't care for the stoppage. He was still standing. Uh, the against the fence, and Arce was just unloading on him. Uh, I was okay with that particular stoppage, for whatever my opinion on that is worth. Uh, decent win from Arce. Arce was dropping down from featherweight, where he'd spent the majority... He might also be a player at bantamweight. Another decent fight. Uh, Sajara Eubanks defeated Elise Reed via TKO, punches and elbows from full mount, basically 349 of the first. Uh, this was a mauling. Uh, Reed had no real business being in there with Eubanks, and that was clear fairly quickly. Uh, I don't know how far Eubanks is going to go at flyweight, but she wants to try her hand at... She missed weight a few different times in that division, and then just didn't have any success up at bantamweight. <laughs> I mean, she... Uh, let's see... Yeah, she tried. She was supposed to fight for the title, and then had a uh, had a weight issue. Yeah, she was supposed to fight for the. She was supposed to fight Nico for the first ever flyweight title. Had couldn't make weight. Uh, and then uh, Valentina had a problem with their second one. I forget exactly what it was. Then Eubanks missed weight for that too. So she spent the next little bit at bantamweight where she went uh, two and four. Now she's back at flyweight. If, I mean, if she's got her weight cut under control, I don't object to her fighting at flyweight or anything. My my only objection is that you signed to make you signed to fight at a weight. You better make the weight. That's you know, that's kind of how that goes. But she just she just massacred Reed. And then kicking everything off, uh, Diana Belbicha defeated Hannah Goldie via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Uh, 
Belbita was just better striking at distance. Uh, did good about blitzing attacks. Goldie just felt a little bit out of her depth here. She couldn't really get anything going all that reliably offensively. I mean, she had a few decent head kicks off of her lead leg, but you, you do need to be able to build systems, right? <laughs> you can't just throw one thing out there and hope for the best. Uh, anyway, that was yeah, that was it. Uh, that was UFC on ESPN 27. Thank you to anyone who read my live coverage or who's read the full report, both of which are up in the uh, over at 411mania.com in the MMA zone. All right, moving on. UFC on ESPN 28. This should be a fairly quick preview. Uh, your main event. A middleweight fight between Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. My inclination for this is Hall. Hall's on a four-fight winning streak. Uh, you know, knocked out Bevon Lewis. Okay, the, the decision against Antonio Carlos Jr. was a little bit iffy, but... And he stops Anderson Silva, then, I mean, I don't even know how to... I'm not entirely sure how to fully quantify his win over Chris Weidman in his last fight, because Weidman broke his leg on the first strike thrown. I mean... That's just a hard thing to kind of how it's a win. It's a legitimate win. It also doesn't really tell us it tell you anything. I mean, Poirier's win over McGregor, actually, the way that fight went, told us something. A freak injury on the first strike thrown doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Uh, I mean. Uriah Hall is, technically speaking, the first fighter in UFC history to win a fight without throwing a single strike, I believe. If it's not him, it might have been Ovin St. Pru. I'd have to double-check Ovin St. Pru and Yushin Okami. St. Pru might have thrown a strike in that fight before they kind of clinched up and went to the mat, but there was like, there was nothing really in that fight. Uh, so, I, I point being, I don't quite know if Hall's really sorted out some of his inconsistency issues or if eh, they're still present and just haven't manifested themselves yet on the other hand we have strickland who's been nothing but successful since returning to middleweight he only has three i mean he only has three losses in the ufc period to santiago ponzinibbio in 2015 to kamaru usman in 2017 and then to Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos in 2018. Every time he fought one of those guys, they were pretty near the top of the division. And in the case, I mean, the case of Usman is the top of the division now. But moved up to welterweight, moved up to middleweight, excuse me, anyway. And he's looked pretty good so far. He's on a four-fight winning streak. Uh, this is a non-trivial step up in competition for him at middleweight. Here's my thing about this fight, I think. Uriah Hall... He's very flashy, and he's very dynamic in that, when it comes to his striking. And if you allow him to do what he wants to do, he will be successful. Strickland's a fairly... He's a fairly meat-and-potatoes kind of guy. And I don't mean that... I absolutely do not mean that as an insult. But he's a fairly straightforward kind of fighter. 
I don't know that he's going to have the ability to really kind of capitalize on some of Hall's tendencies. And with as hard as Uriah Hall hits, I mean, Strickland has a good chin, but I'm going to lean towards Uriah Hall here, but won't be, look, if he, if he stumbles again, I won't be shocked. And Strickland is the kind of guy who will punish you if you stumble, so. This is a, geez, how many fights are on this card? Hang on, I just got to look at the full thing here. There's two, three, four, nine. 11, 12, 13. There are 15 fights? Why? Just why? Ugh. On the plus side, most of the rest of these I don't have to devote a whole lot of time to. Your co-main event is heavyweight fight between Shamil Abdurakhimov and Chris Dawkus. Abdurakhimov is a decent enough guy to have on the roster because he's a somewhat reliable measuring stick you know he's not gonna he's his losses in the ufc are to timothy johnson Derek lewis and curtis blades he has wins over anthony hamilton walt harris chase sherman andre Arlovsky, and marcin tabora he's a decent measuring stick and a decent sort of you know 20 it ranked number 20 ish in the world in the ufc if you ranked that far out he's a decent enough gatekeeper who will occasionally get a shot higher up the card uh, which makes him a perfectly acceptable test for Dawkus, who is on, undefeated in the UFC on a three-fight winning streak and has finished all of those in the first round. Uh, I tend to favor Dawkus here rather heavily. But you know, Abdurakhimov is not the worst guy to have on the roster, but if your card has him in the co-main event, that's a weak card. That's all I'm saying. Uh, women's strawweight, Cheyenne Bays and Bays, excuse me, Bays and Gloria DePaula. I lean Bays, I guess. The UFC is a little bit more behind her, but women's strawweight, uh, it's a good division. So who knows? Uh, actually, a pretty good fight next at bantamweight. No shock there. Uh, Kyung Ho Kong and Ronnie Yaya. I believe he prefers Ronnie these days. Uh, I apologize if. I know the Brazilian Portuguese does the R's as H's, especially if they start a name. I think Yaya has deliberately kind of gone to the more uh, English pronunciation of his first name. So forgive me if I, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I know it would originally be Hani Yaya, but I think he has, I think he has changed the pronunciation. Uh, anyway, Kong is on a three-fight winning streak. Two split decisions, one of which... Uh, which one did I think he probably should have lost? Was it the Lou fight? I don't remember. I want to say there was one of those that I kind of thought he may maybe shouldn't have gone his way, but the man 6-1 and one in his last seven fights. And that loss was a split decision to Ricardo Hamos that he performed very admirably in. Uh, and Yaya is still just a really tough out. I mean, he had a, he's coming off of a win. I, I'm going to pick Kong, but my, my heart's kind of with Yaya on this one because he's one of the older uh, W, he dates all the way back to fighting in the WEC days when that was the only bantamweight division worth noting. And I, I think Yaya's a guy who kind of gets forgotten 
when you talk about, you know, quality bantamweight. So I'll be rooting for him, but I kind of think Kong wins this. Uh, middleweight, Sam Al... Oh, God, Sam Alvey. Sam Alvey will fight Roman Kopilov. Sam Alvey has not won a fight since getting a split decision over John Volante in 2018. Since then, he was stopped by Little Nog in 2018, which should have been a big red flag. Stopped by Jimmy Crute. Decisioned decisively by Clinton Abreu. Decisioned by Ryan Spann. That one was split. Probably shouldn't have been. Had a split draw with Da Eun Jung. Uh, I agreed with the draw in that fight, I seem to recall. And was choked out by Julian Marquez in his last fight. <laughs> I, he, the man has to be fighting for his spot on the roster at this point. There's no reason to keep him around if he loses this fight. So I'm going to pick... I'm, I can't pick Sam Alvey. I can't. I'm picking Kopilov, but... Yeah. Uh, welterweight, Brian Barbarina and Jason Witt. Um, Barbarina's good for a scrap. He's had some really... He's had some very entertaining fights. Whereas Witt... Yeah, I'll go with Barbarina. That's your main card. As for the prelims, Munir Lazez and Nicholas Stolze. I'll probably go with Lazez there, but that's a little bit dicey. Women's Bantam. Wait, Wu Yanan and Nico Montano. I actually kind of like... Uh, let's see. Yanan is 1-3 in the UFC. Yeah, I'll pick Montano here, but... Montano hasn't fought since July of... Two Jeez, she's been out for over two years. She fought in July of 2019 when she dropped a decision to Juliana Pena. Um, yeah, I'll still pick her, but that layoff is slightly troubling as far as that goes. Uh, let's see. Featherweight. Whoa, I'm going to butcher this gentleman's name. Uh, Melski... Bogdarossian? Where's this guy from? He is from Armenia. So... Bogdasarian? Going with Bogdasarian until I hear the more appropriate pronunciation. My apologies. Uh, let's see. Oh, he fights out of the Glendale Fight Club, so I can't in good conscience pick him to win a fight. He's 5-1 and one overall, making his UFC debut. Uh, he is fighting... Oh, they're giving him a setup fight against another debutante, Colin Anglin. Sure, I'll... Yeah, all right, fine. I'll go with Bogdasarian, but... Yeah. Buddy, get to a real camp soon. Lightweight, Chris Gritzmacher and Hoffa Garcia. Probably Gritzmacher. He's not on the best run, but if you look at his losses, they're to... Am I confusing him with someone else? I might be. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I am. That doesn't change my pick. I'm going to pick him. I think I was confusing him with um, Mershart. Anyway, featherweight Danny Chavez and Kai Kamaka the third. Prob I almost feel like I should go Chavez there, because Kamaka... Got one and two. 
speculatively, I'll pick Kamaka. See, Strawweight, Jinyu Fry, and Ashley Yoder. Kind of do or die for uh, Jinyu Fry. I mean, she's coming off of a win, but boy, did they have to dig deep to get her a winnable fight, apparently. Uh, Bantamweight, Ronnie Lawrence and Trevin Jones. I'm okay picking Jones there. Assuming he's who I remember him to be. Let's see. Double check who this gentleman is. Yeah, he's from Guam. Yeah, yeah, I'll pick Jones. Then let's see. We have Philip Rowe and Orion Koske. I'm going to assume that's Koske. Uh, might be wrong. Koske's undefeated, coming into the UFC for the first time. Rowe... Lost, yeah, he lost, yeah, yeah, he was in the UFC once. Lost. Hmm. Yeah, I'll actually go with Koske there. And then kicking everything off, Ryan Benoit and Zarek Adeshev. <sighs> Adeshev had a bit of a rough go in the UFC. He's drawn both, he drew Tyson Nam and then he drew Sumudarji. He needs to win pretty badly. Is Benoit the guy to get it over? Benoit's had a rough go lately, and he's been out for over a year. Yeah, I'll pick Adeshev, but I, that's mostly because I think Benoit might be a little bit past it. Which is odd to say about a guy who's only 31. But he's 10-7. and 7. And he has not been able to find a whole lot of consistency in the UFC, so... I'm okay picking out a shift there, but anyway, that's it. 15 fights. God help us all. Uh, okay, that's it for that. So let's see what we can do about some news here. Um, uh, here's an odd little bit of news. The state of Colorado, and whatever the relevant uh, athletic control board is, came down with a ruling that allows for the use of the set of rules for mixed martial arts that one championship uses, which is basically the old pride rules. Not exactly, but I think basically. Scoring the fight as a whole, knees to the head of a downed opponent. There are some I forget this. I forget the nuance of one's rule about this, uh, about knees to the head. I think you can knee, but you can't kick. Uh, so I don't think they allow soccer kicks, but you can knee someone in the head if you if they're on the ground. Um, this makes it the first state in the United States that has a rule set that would allow one to come. There was some weirdness in their specific language about this decision. I think it was. I think some of the logic here was that they recognize one as a uh, like they're the sanctioning body, but as a as an entity. And they allow different, and they do, like, they seem to allow somewhat different entities to have variations in the rule set that they compete under. So, I, I don't know. It was weirdly worded. Um, so, one is potentially free to hold an event in Colorado under their current rule set. I'm curious to see how this would go. To be clear, this did not replace the unified, LOL unified rules of MMA. But uh, it's rather, I think, something they could choose to use. I would be very curious to see. I 
I'm not certain that the that the rule set that one competes under is superior. I'm not. I don't. I can't remember if they allow elbow strikes or not. They might not, which I think is stupid. You should be allowed to elbow. But I do think that being able to being able to knee someone in the head when they're down. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, and I certainly think it should be allowed if you're both on the ground. If you both meet the criteria for being a downed fighter, I tend to think knees to the head should be legal. But that's just me. Uh, and I am, you know, perpetually in search of more violence. I'm I'm curious to see what happens, whether or not one goes to Colorado and tries to do something, or if we see some... If we see some other organizations maybe host a few fights with that rule set there, so we will have to wait and see on that is kind of the end result, but I thought it was an interesting thing to pay attention to. A couple of smaller pieces of business here. Some of these are more minutia-driven. The UFC has canceled UFC on ESPN Plus 49. This was supposed to be their... um, what, August? August, this is supposed to be the August 14th event. It's been canceled for uh, reasons that I am unsure about. Kind of curious if I can find a specific reason about that. Um, it was, I feel like it was supposed to be... Um, yeah, there was, the UFC just kind of announced that that one was canceled. I think it was supposed to be, they were looking at, I believe they were looking at that one being an event that takes place somewhere in the UK. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I seem to recall that being the news because they have no problem with the two events that are currently scheduled to go place after that. One of those is you've seen an ESPN event. One of those is another fight night, that being August 21st and 28th, both of which are set to take place at the UFC Apex. And they still tentatively have UFC Fight Night 193, which will be UFC and ESPN Plus 51, is set to take place in London, no specific venue, and has a fair amount of a card kind of lined up here. We don't have a, I don't think we have what would be considered a main event yet. But there are fights on that card right now, announced. Khalil Roundtree Jr. and Modestus Bukowskis, Alexander Gustafson and Paul Craig. That's a do-or-die for Gustafson. Uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov and Jack Shore. Magomed Ankalaev and Volkan Uzdemir. About time we get Ankalaev a step up. So there's fights currently scheduled for that. No venue, but we'll see if that one holds together too, depending on how that will depend entirely on the situation in the UK when September rolls around. But August 14th, no UFC event for anyone potentially interested in having a free Saturday. I'm sure. I don't know what I'll do with myself. And the last bit, similar to that in respect to bookkeeping as far as this stuff goes. Uh, UFC 267, excuse me. UFC 267 is going to be a non-pay-per-view numbered event. It's currently scheduled to take place on October 30th. It will emanate from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, It's got two title fights currently attached to it. Jan Blahovic versus Glover Teixeira and the rematch between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Jan for the bantamweight title. 
So the Light Heavyweight and the Bantamweight title, both up for grabs there. It's just going to be apparently available on ESPN and or ESPN Plus for free here in the here everywhere. Um, this is the first non-pay-per-view numbered event since UFC uh, 138. Which, for those of you who may not remember, was uh, Chris Lieben and Mark Munoz. That was the first event. I believe that was the first event that featured a five-round non-title fight main event. Uh, I could be mistaken there. Let me double-check, because... Yeah, it was. Because the next fight was Velasquez... was a rematch between uh, Junior Dos Santos... Uh, that was the UFC on Fox card, Velasquez and Dos Santos. Then the f one after that was UFC 139, and we had the first five-round non-title fight... Uh, fight that actually went all five. Munoz and Lieben was stopped in the second. Between rounds two and three. But that was the last time we had a non-pay-per-view numbered UFC event. was all the way back in 2011. That'll be almost 10 years to the day. Uh, from that other event. So, just uh, again, a little bit of bookkeeping there as far as that goes. And with that out of the way, let's take a quick look through Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken, and if not, we will get out of here. Nope, nothing crazy. All right, let's go ahead and get out of here. What do I have for plugs this week? Uh, you, uh, uh, let's see, AEW Dark Elevation on Monday. I don't know if MLW is releasing something on Wednesday. They've taken the last couple of Wednesdays off. If not, I will do a full report for Battle Riot 3 that they aired on Saturday. So potentially be on the lookout for that one way or the other. I'll have something up for them. And Friday, WWE SmackDown. You can find my full report for those same events from last week. So my review of AEW Dark Elevation. And SmackDown, when John Cena returned and Paul Heyman uh, sang his theme. And Roman Reigns got a really good burn. Really good burn on John Cena that sadly the WWE cut from all of that from their like, YouTube version of the event. Oh, leave the line in, man. It was such a good burn. Uh, you can find my full report for that particular episode, which eh, I wasn't very... I did not think was a very good episode. Throwing that out there. But this week, those same, uh, we'll, I will be reviewing those. Uh, this Thursday, I will be taking part in a comic strip for the M. Night Shyamalan movie Old, which is based on a French, originally a French graphic novel called Sandcastle. So we will be doing a compare and contrast bit for that uh, on Thursday. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, I don't think I have anything else. Nope, just coverage and then that particular podcast. Although the week after, so the first week in August, uh, we've got stuff coming. We've got uh, Jungle Cruise. We've got Suicide Squad the week after that. So things are picking up as August comes around. But this week, uh, my only other podcast would be the, again, the comic strip for old that will be recording on Thursday, July 29th. So if you're interested in my take on that movie, I haven't seen it yet, but we'll be seeing it soon. 
Go check out Damn You Hollywood over on the W2M network and give it a listen. I appreciate it. I have a lot of fun doing that particular show. That is it for me. Well, well, again, the last thing, Saturday, UFC on ESPN 28. Next week, we'll be back here to review that card and to preview UFC 265. The all-important interim heavyweight title fight between Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon, as well as Amanda Nunes taking on Juliana Pena. To be fair, look, I, I, I don't think the interim heavyweight title is necessary. I really don't in this case. I think it's stupid. I think their UFC is just badly trying to leverage Francis Ngannou, and for all the effort they put into making that man an important figure, boy, they sure cut him off at the knees every chance they get, don't they? Uh, that main card is that main card for UFC 265 is really good. Whatever I think about the title situation, Lewis and Gon is a good fight. Nunez killing someone is always fun. Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz will be nuts, and Michael Chiesa versus Vicente Luque is a very good fight. That is a very good pay-per-view. The rest of that card, yeah, it's not bad. Tisha Torres and Angela Hill is whatever. Song Yudong and Casey Kenny will be. That'll be nuts. That'll be a pretty crazy fight. Uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz and Jessica Panay, I could take or leave. Ed Herman and Alonzo Menafield. Well, Herman's still fighting. Probably not for much longer, but... Uh, Manel Cape and Ode Osborne. Victoria uh, Victoria Leonardo and Melissa Gatto. Eh. Vince Morales and Draco Rodriguez. Eh. And Johnny Munoz Jr. and Jamie Simmons. Eh. We have a couple of other fights announced that aren't... Uh, oh, good grief. Bobby Green and uh, Rafael Fiziev is on that card somewhere. Yes. All, yeah, hook that into my veins. And Miles Johns and Anderson Dos Santos. That's not a bad fight either. There's some... The early prelim portion of that is probably going to be a little bit whatever. But if if those other two fights are on the uh, ESPN prelim, so that would give us five on that and then four... That's a re... Those top fights... That's a really good set of, say, nine fights at the top of that card. That's a really good set uh, up there. So we'll have a full preview of that next week. I hope you'll be back. Until then, I'm Robert Winfrey reminding you once again to stay safe out there and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>